This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. Farm prices remain strong to wind up 2021, and that trend is expected to continue in 2022. How will supply, demand, inflation, and input costs impact the prospects for profitability? We visit with the head of research at Rabobank for a trade and export outlook and to see how farmers can navigate margins to find profitability in 2022. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. We recently finished our corn harvest, and I picked the corn in our Pivot Bioproven field trial. You'll recall that Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating that mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's a weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable and more productive yields than ever before. So this year, our results were much the same as the year before. In 2021, we saw a 7-bushel yield boost from our treated corn versus the non-treated corn. That was about the same as in 2020. Of course, a yield boost is great, but even more exciting is the opportunity to replace some of that synthetic nitrogen since Pivot Bioproven can be a proven source of nitrogen throughout the growing season. In this time of much higher input costs, especially for those fertilizers, having a source of nitrogen other than that synthetic nitrogen can be a big game changer. That's why I've been doing field trials to learn more, and I hope you'll look into it as well. You can see results and find out more information by simply going to pivotbio.com. The National Association of Farm Broadcasting recently held its annual convention in Kansas City. The event brings together some of the leaders for many businesses in the ag industry, and it's a great place to get information on what to expect in the year ahead. This year was no exception, and I made a point to focus on farm profitability forecasts for 2022, especially with so many factors now in play. Roland Fumasi is head of research, food and agribusiness for North America at Rabobank. His job is to look at those trends and provide his company, farmers, and the ag industry with insights on what to expect. As you can imagine, we covered some of the most likely topics, rising input costs, supply chain issues, and strong grain and livestock prices. Part of our conversation, though, was looking at Rabobank's forecast for 2022 and how long we can expect the current rate of inflation. What should we expect when it comes to interest rates? How are labor shortages impacting farmers and agribusinesses alike? And how are those groups navigating a workplace that is paying higher wages? There's a number of factors to take into account, of course, and with so much that could go wrong. The ultimate question is perhaps, can farmers expect to be profitable in 2022? And if so... How might those margins look? The answer to the question is undoubtedly specific to each producer, but it is interesting to get an idea of the trends and how things may play out heading into next year. Here's our conversation. Roland, we're looking into 2022. Certainly, we're coming off a year in which most farmers, I think, had good crops and probably had pretty good margins. Uh, Certainly, crop prices have remained pretty high, but as we move into 2022, input prices are rising. So, 
the clients you're working with, what are we seeing as far as margins? It's certainly going to be tighter, we know that. You know, absolutely expecting tighter margins in 2022, and that's not because we think that, that commodity prices are going to fall off significantly. We expect commodity prices to stay relatively strong, maybe a little lower than, than what they've kind of peaked, peaked out at um, you know, as, we, as we speak. But the big margin pressure is coming from the input side, like you mentioned. I mean, we've seen a rapid increase in, in, in input costs. Uh, fertilizer is the, the big one. Um, we think because energy prices are going to stay high, that those prices are going to stay strong at least through the first quarter of 2022. Um, we know that China has put some restrictions on what's exported, particularly phosphates and urea, uh, because they want to protect the domestic industry. So that's adding some tightness to the supply side. Um, and, and so that's that's on the fertilizer side. But when you think about even seed, right, we expect seed's going to be probably at least 10 to 15% higher. Um, a lot of that's demand side driven because of the high commodity prices that we expect to continue. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of demand for seed, and I think that the seed suppliers are going to play into that. Um, you know, you, you on the ag chem side, we know that a lot of those inputs, uh, some of the base things we use to produce ag chem uh, comes out of China. Uh, we know they've changed some environmental restrictions over there. They're tightening up the, the supply on the, on the ag chem side. You pile onto that, the increase in labor costs, uh, the increase in equipment costs, right, because of supply chain, uh, the supply chain situation, and all of that stacks up to be kind of a perfect storm from an input cost side uh, to put a, put a squeeze on margins. You started with the, the fertilizer there, and we think about nitrogen. In some places, we can't even get it. What are you hearing out there, and, and what is the, is, is there any solution other than simply time? We hate to say we just got to wait because farmers can't wait. So what do you do on the, the input side, especially with, with fertilizers? Well, I mean, I think at least one of the saving graces to it all is is the expectation that relatively strong prices continue, right? Um, we, what our farm inputs analysts are, are telling us is that the U.S. is, we're stacked up a little better than some other parts of the world, right? So if you're a, if you're a supplier out there, a global supplier, and supplies are tight, you're going to make sure you cater to your biggest, strongest market where you know folks have the cash and can, and can, can get, get it paid for. Uh, so that sets us up in a little better position. Um, beyond time as a solution, I mean, you start to think about things like, you know, do we need less reliance on certain parts of the world for, for some of these farm inputs, right? Can we bring more of that production back home? Um, it, you know, or at least to the same hemisphere, uh, to kind of uh, hedge ourselves a bit as we really think years ahead. So I, I know that's that conversation's being had more so than ever before. Well, certainly this is a global problem, but I suspect that different areas around the world, maybe their input prices are rising faster in certain categories just because of what they produce domestically. Would that be correct? Because we, we certainly rely on some other countries for some of those fertilizer needs, but perhaps some other inputs, if we can produce them here at home, won't rise as fast. Would that be right? Well, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you get into some other parts of the world that don't even have the amount of domestic production of inputs that we have here. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that puts us in a, in a better competitive situation than, than a lot of other countries in the world, for sure. What does that translate to then when we come around to harvest in 2022? Does that position the U.S., do you think, to be able to better supply those grains at, at better prices because we somehow survived this 2022 a little bit better on our margins than other places, or is it too far out to predict? Well, certainly we can't forget about weather, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm because of the time of the year, right, I've got, we've got our eyes on Brazil, and now things shake out. Uh, but with this La Nina pattern that everybody's expecting, um, that you know, South America could be challenge, weather challenged. They have been. Um, so that's one of the things we're watching. Uh, and then, of course, we're, we're way ahead of, of the U.S. You know, next year's crop. Um, I, I, look, I, I think you know, the, the question that we've been asking, asking ourselves as researchers is, given the constraints on farm inputs and the expectation of a, of a tighter, much tighter margin next year, um, you know, will, what's planting going to look like, right? Uh, and the, the resounding answer we're getting from producers is, look, as long as prices are strong, which we expect them to be, we're going to plant a lot of crop. Um, so you know, to, your, to your point, I think uh, you know, a year from now, the U.S. from the supply side is going to be in a great position to continue being a powerhouse as far as uh, you know, grain and animal protein exports. We certainly stand in a place where many farmers right now have come off of a good crop. Interestingly, the price we can get right now in the spot market is almost identical to me carrying it in the bins. What should farmers think about moving that crop right now? Or should we expect that these supplies are going to continue to be tight and that price is going to move up? Because the market's telling us right now, hey, bring it in. We need it. Well, we think, we think prices are going to come off these peaks a little bit. So if, if, that, if, that, if that is the trigger uh, for a particular grower, um, get sold what you can get sold. Uh, again, we don't expect prices to be historically weak next year or anything. We're still expecting, you know, around 550 corn uh, next year. Uh, we're expecting, you know, 1250 beans next year, $7 wheat, right? So respect nice strong prices, but... Uh, but off the highs a bit. So um, that's, that's our outlook. Um, you know, to add some numbers to this actual margin squeeze we're talking about, I mean, when we consider margins this year relative to where, we're, where we think they'll be next year, um, we think corn, uh, on-farm corn margins probably going to be down 60-70%. Um, still profitable. Um, and, and for soybeans, that margin to probably come down around 40%. Um, so, and, but still be profitable. So that kind of adds some numbers to the, the pressure we're expecting on margins next year. Certainly, you're in the finance market. What have you seen from that side? We came off a year in which many farmers were able to put a little money in the bank, but this year we're having to pay a little more for these inputs. So I'm suspecting finances... We perhaps need some more money, uh, or they're looking for some more money in the loan market. Is that right? Well, right. That's always the that's always the balancing act on the financing side. You know, you want you want nice, strong balance sheets, um, definitely, uh, as a lender. Uh, but you know, the better better farmers do, then they don't necessarily have an appetite to ha have the need for as much financing. Um, so, 
know, everything from a from a lending perspective, um, ongoing growth, uh, everything's been very, very robust, right? Uh, growers, we're, we're coming to the end of the year now. Growers want to spend money on something, right? Tax planning, etc. <laughs> right. So, you know, a absolutely. Um, you know, we know. You know, when we think about the equipment side, we know overall growers haven't been able to get all the equipment that they would have otherwise bought um, under these under normal conditions because you know, we're waiting on microchips or or tires in some cases, right? There, a lot of this equipment that's still sitting on dealer lots is missing something, so it's still sitting there. Um, so, so the money that would have been spent there is, uh, you know, growers are finding a way to, to get it spent somewhere else. And one, and one of the things that's going to absorb some of that extra money are the, these, this increase in input costs that we've been talking about, whether it's seed, fertilizer, ag chem. So there's still a big need for us, which is good. One thing I want to be sure to get to is, is labor, and we see that even outside of agriculture right now. What do you see on the, on the labor side, whether it's on the farm, but also just in agribusiness and the ag industry as a whole? Certainly, we're competing for, for ag labor. Right. Well, I, I think it's important for us to remember the COVID-19 situation didn't, didn't cause the labor challenge that we see in the food and ag value chain. And you're exactly right. It, it's... it's it's not just on farm. It's it's a problem um, that we've had for years, right? Uh, there's been it's been challenging to get on farm labor. It's been challenging challenging to get uh, supply chain labor. Um, some industries more challenged than others. The uh, and and that's for a lot of underlying demographic reasons: aging population, uh, the you know ongoing urban migration that you and I have seen, you know, all, all of our lives, other opportunities popping up, um, not just in the U.S., but in, in a country like Mexico, where we tend to rely on a lot of labor from Mexico. They've got a lot more economic opportunities there than they've ever had before. So these are ongoing things before COVID. Uh, they'll still be with us after COVID. What, what COVID has kind of shifted, well, one, I think we have to realize there is a legitimate fear, a health fear for some people out there. Right, uh, not for everybody, but that's part of it. Uh, we know that COVID's put tremendous strain on the childcare situation uh, with families, which is uh, restricted labor supply. Um, we uh, and then this rapid economic recovery that really started middle of last year has really created a supply-demand kind of imbalance. Right, the the workforce out there has tremendous opportunities because the economy's come come back so fast um, and they know they the workforce knows it has leverage under under those circumstances uh, so we're you know we, we've we've heard on farm I think if you look at the last five years for example on farm wage rates have gone up four to five percent kind of per year over the last five years this year I think it'll be every bit of five percent that's on farm when you but when you look at the value chain packing plants, et cetera, much, much bigger increases. We've heard, depending on the client, depending on the, the specific industry, anywhere from 10% increase in labor costs all the way up to 30, 35% increase in labor costs to try to pull more people in. Um, so the industry's doing that, but we're still seeing 
some of the highest absentee uh, conditions that we've ever seen, where you've got employees that, you know, by Thursday go, you know, I made enough money this week, I'm, I'm, I may just not show up on Friday. But they, get, but they still keep their job because the value chain understands that labor is tight. So I, I think that'll ease a bit as we get into, it'll start to marginally ease as we move into next year. Um, you know, we've had high savings rates, but with the inflation we're seeing, that the savings in, in people's bank accounts is going to erode pretty quickly. That's going to create more need uh, to, to get back to work. Um, and I think a lot of this is going to hinge on what happens with COVID over this winter, right? There's a lot of talk about po potential you know, more outbreaks because of the season. Um, that could lengthen. That, if we do end up seeing big surges in COVID outbreaks over the next few months, that could lengthen this entire uh, tight labor market a bit longer than, than what it otherwise would be. Um, so we'll have to keep a close eye on that. Do you think when we move out of this, and, and I don't know when that's going to be, have we fundamentally changed the way that we have either on-farm labor or labor within the ag industry, or will it go back to some semblance of, of 2019, do you think, or will there be some things that have changed forever? A little of both. Um, we'll be a little closer to 2019 norms than we are today, uh, but once wages start to go up, right, and, and they tend to always go up, you know, the wages don't come back down, right? And that's why you see, you know, some companies are, are more about signing bonuses, kind of one-time incentives, because they recognize that. I mean, once you start to ra raise that hourly wage, you don't tend to bring it back down. So I think where we're going to settle out in all this is a bit more stability, but it's going to stabilize in a in a higher range. Our input costs, our labor costs in the food and ag value chain are gonna settle at a higher range. And, and I think that's that's gonna mean that food prices are gonna kinda of settle in a higher range as well. You mentioned the inflation. What's the projection? Do we at some point begin to plateau and come back down or is it just too many unknowns because of COVID right now? Uh, we, we think right now that we could see continued major inflationary pressure through at least Q1 next year, maybe through the entire first half of the year. Uh, we think we'll start to see uh, it, it kind of be a bit more normal probably in the second half of next year. Um, so, you know, are we going to continue to see 6% inflation, you know, for two, three more years? No. We don't, th we don't think that. But in the coming months, over the next, I mean, let's call it over the next six to eight months, we, we could see continued rapid inflation. And until the supply chain kind of gets back to normal, where we can more easily get supplies, uh, you know, supplies that we need, um, and that's not just food and ag, that's everything, uh, until those logistical issues start to normalize, inflation's around for a while. Certainly, Robo Agrofinance is, is global. I guess you're seeing this, though, really around the globe. It's not unique to the U.S. I'm certain, certainly, we have some unique things, but the inflation, the labor shortage, the input prices, is it pretty much the same all countries that we see in agriculture? All of the major ag-producing countries of the world, exactly the same challenges that we're facing now. Yeah. So what, what is the solution then, or is it just simply time and we begin to work out of it? 
Well, I think I think time's a, time's an important piece. Uh, I know there's, you, you know, all, all all good business managers are always thinking about structural changes that can be made, um, you know, within the industry uh, to to be able to weather these kinds of storms a bit. But it but it's challenging, right? We've got to feed a lot more people in the coming years. Uh, we've got incomes rising globally so it's not just about population growth it's about income growth so we've got this uh, this major expectation of, of, of food increase in food demand uh, and at the same time uh, we're right in the midst of recognizing how many supply chain challenges we can actually uh, actually have uh, so yeah I mean it depends who you ask I mean there's and there's talk about more regionalization, like like we had mentioned before. Do you bring some things kind of closer to home? Um, I, you know, there, there's a reason that we rely on certain parts of the world for cert, to produce certain things, um, and, and you know, comparative advantage. So there's strong economic forces at work. So I, I think it's a big big challenge for the industry to start shifting things around too much too fast right I, I think there'll be some solutions that people are, are discovering kind of on the margins um, and then ultimately it's, it's what we've been telling ourselves for the last 50 years it's going to be all about yield improvements globally whether we're talking about crops whether we're talking about genetics in, in the animal protein space it's going to be all about driving yields. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because it's on farmers' minds. Interest rates, they're always wondering about that. Do we project them to stay flat or will we see these move up? We've seen inflation move up. Is Does the interest rate move up with that moving into 2022? Yeah, so we know the Fed um, has ju just uh, what, roughly a week ago announced they're going to uh, phase out their asset purchases to try to slow things down a little bit to try to get inflation a little under control. Um, we don't expect the Fed to start raising the short-term rates till May, until at least the second half of next year, maybe even into 2023. Um, so that's that's kind of our outlook on what we expect the Fed to do. But the short answer is is yes. In 2022, we expect interest rates to start start heading back up, right? And it's a fine balancing act between keeping this robust economy going and trying to stifle these inflationary pressures that we're seeing right now. Why don't we wind up with this ag outlook for uh, 2022, I suppose, still remains strong, although my margins have tightened. Would that be right? I think that's exactly right. Um, U.S. agriculture will be, it will be, an, it will be a profitable year for U.S. agriculture in 2022, albeit with a bit tighter margins that we've, than we've seen in 2021. Any things that you want to make sure farmers know about with uh, Robo uh, that's that's new as we look to 2022? I, I just remind you know everybody out there that you know as far as the, the research team, our, our team at Robo Research, we we're, we're here to interact with, um, and, and yes, our our day jobs are to analyze everything and have outlooks, but uh, the interaction with our with our uh, clients out there. We learn a lot from them, and it's, it's really always a two-way street, and it's much appreciated. Roland had quite a few insights into what we can expect in 2022. 
Hopefully the conversation gave you an idea of what at least one of the major ag financing groups is expecting for next year. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can catch past shows at farmingthecountryside.com and you can get more info by following Farming the Countryside on Facebook. You can also follow our daily features, American Countryside, on many local radio stations, and we're also at americancountryside.com and American Countryside on Facebook as well. And don't forget, we're posting ideas for revitalizing rural and agricultural America at totaltownmakeover.com. We've also got a Facebook site for that topic, Total Town Makeover. If you go under the Resources tab at TotaltownMakeover.com, you'll find many of our TV, radio, and podcast features that will give you ideas for where you live. And if you're looking for a holiday gift idea, all of our books can be found there at TotaltownMakeover.com as well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.